Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So as we come out of the COVID crisis, sometime, all countries face the same issue. You've got lots of people out of work, you've got businesses with heavy loans, and governments that believe they have to do something to claw back their deficits. Wouldn't it be easier if there was some sort of coordinated approach? Well, Janet Yellen, the Secretary of the State for the Treasury in the United States, seems to think so. That's why she is looking for a coordinated approach when it comes to corporate tax. A complete reversal of the Trump approach, in other words. So his idea was drop corporate tax to try and bring businesses back to the United States. So will the Janet Yellen approach work? Is it time for countries to work together rather than compete against each other when it comes to fiscal policy? That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. So, Steve, Janet Yellen wants other countries to push up their corporate tax rates so they are on a par with the US, basically. I think what she's realised is if they push up the corporate tax rate in America, then that'll be a, a disincentive, I hate that word, uh, for, for people to stay in America and they might go somewhere else where the corporate tax rate is cheaper. Uh, we've also got at the same time the IMF wants countries to tax the rich to help narrow the rich-poor gap in developed nations. Uh, so we'll look at that as well. But look, Janet Yellen, first of all, wants everyone to have a corporate tax rate of 28%, which is what the United States wants to move to. That is going to be very bad news for Ireland. Is, is there where the, you know, the, the only reason that people are moving to Ireland, digital companies in particular, p- placing their European headquarters there, because their corporate tax rate is 12.5%. Is there any chance at all that Janet Yellen's going to get a wish? I can't see any, unfortunately. I mean, there are things about it that I don't like. Um, but one of the huge elements of the modern financial system is the extent to which corporations can play one um, one jurisdiction off against another because of differences in tax rates. And mm. uh, sometimes it's just because, you know, they'll lobby a country like Ireland to slash its tax rate to virtually zero to encourage corporations to move there. But they also use what's called transfer pricing. And I remember talking to a um, software engineer back in the 80s, back when I used to work in... in um, Computers. Uh, I mean, about him working for a multinational. I've forgotten which one it was, but an American corporation, and he was based in Sydney. And he told me that uh, he'd regularly make a telephone call to the developers of the code they were using inside the company in the states. And then he found out the account became a good friend, and turned out that each telephone call was billed at ten thousand uh, dollars because yeah. the tax rate was lower in America. So a 10-minute call cost the Australian company $10,000 and transferred, you know, $10,000 worth of profit effectively across to the American uh, enterprise where they could pay a lower rate of corporate tax. Yeah, and that is the problem, isn't it? And, and it's become even harder now in this digital world because uh, what do you do if you sell software and the tax rate is uh, is uh, lower in the United States or higher in the United States? You, you, you basically say, well, okay, where are we going to put all our development costs to minimise the amount of tax that we have to pay? Uh, so we make a loss in, in some countries because the cost of, uh, of that software, uh, creating the software, has been so high. It's so easy in the in this day and age to to work around it. 
But you'd have to, every, if you were to have a standard rate, everybody, every country would have to be party to it. And there's no incentive for them to do that. If the alternative is where you can get some tax revenue that you weren't going to get before. Yeah, though I mean, the Americans have got uh, have got form here in terms of forcing people into using their system. Um, and well, like one thing I've been warned by by friends quite regularly is never get a green a, a green card for America because as soon as no. you end up on the American tax system, they they chase you for your taxable income no matter where you earn it in the world. And yes. uh, because there's well, such a take a case in point is my wife, who's never. She, I mean, when she was a kid, she was in America. Her dad uh, was American. She's got an American passport. She has to file an American tax return uh, every year, even though she's not been to America, doesn't earn any money in America. She still has to file the tax returns. Uh, I, I mean, she doesn't have to pay tax because uh, it gets. Uh, well, she would have if she was in a in a low taxing country, but. Um, because uh, she's in the UK, that doesn't happen, and uh, and it's a you've got you've got to file five years worth. We're going through this now, so she can renounce her American citizenship. Because we're worried that if our house reaches a certain value, America can grab the capital gains. They're bastards. Yeah, I know they are. So there's one reason I'm you know I I, I don't mind seeing Janet Yellen fail on this one, even though. I'd like to see uniform tax rates or at least some sort of system that, and makes it impossible for corporations to evade the tax burden. Because as we know, like you, we've been talking from a modern monetary theory point of view, it's not the tax that provides the revenue for the, for the, the, the government. But if you have a need to take excess money out of the circulation that's been created by a government deficit, uh, then the burden of that falls entirely on the working class and the middle class. Uh, if you have the capacity for corporations to evade tax, which they manifestly have that capability in ways that we you and I don't. But it, it also takes out of the hands of the governments the ability for them to, uh, you know, take control. You know, we, we left, it's, it's ironic, we, we went down this road. I mean, we left the EU because we wanted to uh, take back control. Uh, this would mean, you know, we'd be all pandering to, to America, which is potentially even worse. And particularly, I mean, you know, some people might want to play with their corporate tax uh, to, to achieve other aims. Like China, for example, has got a 25% tax rate, but they lower it to 15% for some sectors that they like to encourage and see develop. Uh, I mean, you, you would get a, a bun fight, wouldn't you, if uh, if uh, you tried to take that away from yeah, them? Yeah, and, and this is, um, you know, the, the whole idea that you can have uniformity um, is, is is not going to, to, to work. It can be enforced in an organisation like the European Union, but that's, uh, you know, one of my favourite botch jobs on the planet. And even there, of course, Ireland gets away with a lower tax rate than the, than the remainder of the European Union does. So... Um, it, How do they pull that off? I wonder. How do they pull that off? I wonder. It's been. I'm, I'm, I'm can't, I can't uh, quote chapter and verse on it, but there've been some pretty big fights with the European Union for them to hang on to it, largely because they were effectively arguing they were like developing country status within the European Union compared to France and Germany, <laughs> um, so they could get away with it to some extent uh, by political lobbying in, inside the European Union. But um, overall, it's. You know, the, the, the tax system is it's the easiest way to provoke somebody to being right wing is to bring up taxing. And uh, that, that certainly happens with the whole idea of corporations avoiding tax that makes you left wing. But governments trying to impose tax on you makes you right wing. Um, it, it, you know, it, you, you have to have a way of taking money out of circulation because of the government simply spent everything and didn't take any back. Then you'd have an enormous uh, increase in the money supply. But taxation is looking like a less... You know, far far away from the best way of doing that. Yeah. 
And uh, corporate tax in particular. I mean, income tax perhaps more. I mean, and that that is, you know, the other point as well. If you if the the corporate tax on its own is to try and get some sort of uniformity, so that uh, companies can't move uh, profit centres around the planet, uh, you can always, uh, you know, on the other side reduce income tax to encourage executives to base themselves in your country. If you if you have to adhere to that 28% rule, you'll say, okay, well, well, we'll reduce our top level of income tax so companies will come here and pay the tax because they know they're going to pay less income tax for the for the top individuals. Uh, and if you try and, if you say, well, okay, let's try and standardize that as well, then, <laughs> then you really are at the stage where America is determining, you know, fiscal policies of every country in the world, which they might quite like, I suspect. Mm, yeah, but uh, I mean, to some extent, you can get away with that because most of the uh, economic cycles are r- relatively synchronized around the planet but again it's 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 it's, show, it's, show, it's showing one of the failings of a global a globalized system when you globalize um, institutions that can straddle the globe are going to do better than those that can't and you and I can't straddle the globe we're individuals but corporations can and and thereby you, you get this uh, competition between different governments to attract the corporations to, to base themselves locally and all this crazy stuff comes about tax and now of course the major campaigns of globalization the americans and the washington consensus are trying to reverse the impact um, um, there must be something you could do though so i'm looking at the the economist some numbers in the economist recently they they say the big five in silicon valley pay 220 billion us dollars that's about 159 billion pounds in cash uh, taxes in the in the past decade and that represents just 16% of their pre-tax profits. So couldn't you say, okay, I, I don't know how you divvy it up on a country-by-country basis, but if you are, are paying below a certain percentage in, in tax, let's say, call it 25%. Well, no, let's call it 20, 28%, which is what uh, they want to aim for. Uh, if you're paying less than 28% over, say, 10 years, um, uh, then, you know, I'm sure you've got a million and one excuses that a lot of that was because you were putting money into redeploying it back into the company for growth. But let's say it's over 10 years, and let's wipe out the last couple of years where you might have been, uh, it might have been investment, but over a 10-year period, you've got to pay that difference between that 16% and 28%. And uh, and yes, let's make it that you pay it based on where the sales are, which is the other thing that uh, Janet Allen's been trying to say. is you know, that, That's really, uh, that's really more, more interesting to me than, than the idea of uniform tax rates, because yeah. uh, I mean, I, I, I went for, a, just speaking decades, I think it was actually three decades ago, I went for a holiday to the Cayman Islands with my then wife, you know, a diving holiday. Um, and one thing I wanted to check out was the building out of which operated, I think, believe, News Corporation and 30 other major multinational companies. And of course, it was, just, it was I think it was a two-story whitewashed building with brass plaques at the front and nobody home. Uh, but that was where News Corporation and numerous other companies record their major profits. And it's all by, you know, by creative accounting. They have virtually no sales in the Cayman Islands, but because of the low tax rates, that's where they record their profits. Yeah, well, you know, the Cayman Islands, uh, even, you know, the Isle of Man, uh, the Channel Islands, Monaco, there's lots of them, aren't there? And uh, I, wonder, I wonder how they would go with this uh, this corporate tax idea. Uh, but yes, the idea that you actually move it to shift it to where the sales are happening sounds like a good idea. And we've got everyone around the world is trying to impose some sort of, in an ad hoc fashion, uh, some sort of uh, tax on uh, some digital tax or tax on digital companies. This would be the way to do it, wouldn't it? But then the companies are going to say, well, we can't just be based on sales because, you know, the point I made earlier, most of our production costs are back in the United States, for example. Yeah, I, I think ultimately I come down to, well, where, where sales 
but not just sales. If you think about sales, I mean, the company might make their sales internationally and have their costs back in America, but their costs themselves, in the sense, are a sale by the people that are that are that are selling inputs to them, including their workers. Um, so if you if you tax on sales, um, then it's very very hard to fudge the results. And if it's a, if it's a flat rate, you you don't have even be much much lower rate than than um, if you tax every transaction rather than taxing the value added in each transaction, which is the idea of uh, goods and services tax and, and value added taxes. Tax every transaction at a low rate, no matter where it happens. That may be a more effective way of getting money out of circulation than income tax or tax on corporate profits. But there's, I mean, different products obviously have different cost bases. So you, if you are taxing the same amount, so software, once you've sunk the cost, it's uh, it's just a cost of sale, isn't it? Whereas if you're building bridges, it's all it's a, it's a manufacturing process. You've got very heavy costs. So there's got to be something that relates to the to the margins of the the business. But I'm sure you can, I'm sure you can still do that. It's a question of um, whether you whether you're actually seeing your overseas sales as incremental to your US-based sales or whether you're actually seeing it all as part and parcel of the one product. And, of course, you don't see it as incremental, but it's treated as that, isn't it? So you say, well, okay, uh, we conveniently, uh, we we produce a, a software, we employ a lot of people in the, the United States, uh, and uh, and we make a certain number of sales in the United States, and we pay tax on the, on the profit we make after all those heavy costs have come out of it. Uh, and then all the additional sales we make, oh, well, that's just uh, icing on the cake that, you know, we, we we managed to sell it overseas, even though maybe 75 or 80% of your sales are actually are from overseas. So you actually made that software not just for America, if you're being honest. You made that software for the world, and therefore you should uh, apportion uh, the cost and the revenue according to where it's consumed, which would make a great deal of sense. Yeah, but then again, you'd be paying taxes. Your American corporation would be paying taxes in the UK for its UK sales, which is what I think should happen. Um, you know, it, 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 um, it, it's, it's one of these absolute um, minefields that, with the capacity of, of corporations to relocate their costs and to um, uh, you know, use creative accounting to pretend their profits are made in tax havens and so on. And it's one of those things which again, and again makes me pine for a genuine international order like Keynes was pushing for with the Bancor because you could have effectively controlled that at the national level through the Bancor system, you know, imposing the penalties you're talking about on countries that, that offer low tax breaks and so on and equalise that way. And we simply don't have that opportunity with the international system we have. But who would be the controlling body on that? That would be a very powerful body indeed, wouldn't it? I mean, the, almost like a world government, Steve. Well, that's where the—I mean—that's what the International Monetary Fund was supposed to be—that uh, that original clearinghouse that Keynes was arguing for. Uh, but again, you would have had one country, one vote type uh, operations at the international level. I'm not actually sure what Keynes had on that front. Whether you had one country, one vote, or he had votes by the scale of the um, of the uh, the size of the economy, which would still give America the mm. biggest vote, but. A combination of the two in that sense, you know, one one vote for size and one vote for existence, something of that nature, uh, to balance it out. But there, there, we, we don't have that system, and therefore the best that Janet Yellen can hope to do is the jawboning they're doing now. What amuses me is what will the Americans do when this jawboning fails? What will be their next tactic? They will lower their... Uh, <laughs> Lower that COVID tax back to where it was, obviously. Uh, 
Also, the uh, in, I mean, she's only doing it, isn't she? So she can push up the rates without losing business. That's why. That's why she's what she's using it as a sales technique, isn't she? I think to say we want to push up corporate taxes, but hey, look, the rest of the world is with us as well. We're not alone on this. It's a, I mean, it's a political move, really, isn't it? It is, but I'm, I mean, this is one thing which COVID might uh, have an impact on as well, because we're going to see. I think a, a, in the aftermath of COVID, and also with the impact of climate change and the the damage we've got to the long supply of chains we have these days. I think a lot of production is going to move back to the country of origin. And uh, yeah. in that situation, that'll simplify uh, Yellen's problem. It won't make capitalism any any uh, more viable because it'll be ecological pressures that are damaging profits and damaging the supply line that are the motive. But um, it'll get rid of, it'll make this issue of, of differential tax rates less of an issue if production goes back to being born national and national based than globalised. Well, yeah, it's interesting. There was a, uh, as an aside, there was a UK company that listed on the NASDAQ uh, or is about to, and I think it did actually last week, uh, and um, it, it makes electric buses and electric vehicles. And uh, part of their um, push is for micro manufacturing. So, in other words, smaller factories. And their their argument is, I think, that, uh, you know, the cost of machinery uh, used to be, you know, you needed a lot of machinery to get the economies of scale. Now the cost of machinery has come down so much that you can have uh, machines to produce smaller amounts in more locations. Therefore, your cost of distribution goes down because you have micro manufacturing plants. So rather than having one factory turning out a thousand vehicles, why not have uh, 10 factories turning out a hundred vehicles, which are closer to their destination? Uh, that would be nice to see if that was the way the world went. Well, yeah, but I mean, that again comes down to whether you can actually, uh, actually, you know, you're trading off transportation costs for products on one side against economies of scale for the factory on the other. And, um, yeah. You know, I mean, but I mean, their point is the economies of scale are coming down so much. So the economies of scale are actually in the manufacturing of the equipment that makes these things. Uh, so, uh, you know, maybe the cost of making 10 smaller machines uh, isn't that much more than the cost of making one big machine. Uh, you know, perhaps technology has mm, moved on I'm to that. To a bit that of a skeptic there. I mean, I'm actually, we've been re- reading up on, on Tesla's uh, new rig, which is going to pump out. The, uh, the structure of the uh, cyber truck and that is a, a press which has to press the, the same stainless steel they're using on the SpaceX rockets which is incredibly hard uh, flexible mm. but hard and um, that press has a weight of 8,000 tons um, yeah you know, if you made yeah, it 800, have too many of those. If you made yeah. it 800 tons, it wouldn't even bend the metal. The, okay, that, that's why I think All economies right. of scale are still going to rule for, for large-scale manufacturing, particularly saying things like um, computer chips as well. I mean, the whole yeah. idea that you can have, you know, there, there is some possibility with, um, uh, you know, uh, 3D printing and so on. Maybe in that case, you can reduce your capital costs in some elements. But uh, you just argued against yourself there, then. You know, yeah, I think you're now so. you're saying that things need to be more centralised. There we are. You see, I've, mm. I've, uh, t- taking you uh, t- taking you around a full circuit there. Let's l- let's look at the IMF. You mentioned the IMF. Mm. I'm, I'm, I, I constantly wonder what it is they actually do apart from give out loans. And it's not actually them giving out loans half the time. It's their member countries giving it to people who need it. The IMF said uh, this last week uh, they had the audacity really <laughs> to say that those who've done well out of COVID nineteen should be paying more tax. They're not talking about countries, they're talking about individuals. So they're saying governments around the world, particularly wealthy countries, uh, should be taxing the rich more to compensate those who've done less well. They just mean not 
those less well in other countries, just in their own country. So Vitor Gaspar, who's the IMF's head of fiscal affairs, uh, was interviewed by the FT, uh, and he said, yeah, there's been a rise in inequality during the pandemic as younger and poorer people have suffered the most uh, because they're at greater risk of losing their jobs and their incomes. So uh, it, it's not a decree from the uh, from the IMF, it, just them stating the, the bleeding obvious that they should uh, perhaps tax the wealthy a bit more if you know unless we go down the modern monetary theory road but this is the conventional thinking that governments only uh, have money if they tax people to get it uh, he says a, a temporary tax on the highest wages for a period would solve or help solve the problem anyway saying this is what germany did with their solidarity tax after reunification well yeah tax the rich a bit more it's it's not gonna um, it's, it's only gonna perhaps help uh, in countries like the uk or the us perhaps but it's it's not going to have much impact, is it? It's certainly not going to you know create those jobs for those people. No, and and well, you, 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 again, the argument for taxation is a redistribution one rather than a, yes, re- a revenue for the government yeah. one. But uh, and that's not yeah, the argument yeah. he's using. He's, he's using it's it as a, quite yeah, am- because he's IMF's head of fiscal it, affairs. That's the way he thinks. It's quite amusing to me to hear this stuff coming out of the IMF and the World Bank and the American government and so on, because for the last thirty or forty years, they were uh, you know. Um, lobbying for a world with minimal regulation, minimal tax rates, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they've got that world and they want out. Yeah, well, as I uh, say, having is, the audacity to suggest it, this. But, I mean, even I, – I, it is a compl- – I mean, this is ignoring the bigger issue, which the IMF, which we'll come on to, which is, you know, what, what about the poor countries that, uh, that really do need help? But just that question about taxing the rich, even if you were looking at – as a redistribution exercise is one thing, but if you were looking at it, if you were following that, you know, the thinking that this guy uh, – uh, what's his name, Vital Gaspar, uh, what his thinking is that, you know, you can use it to raise money to help pay the poor. But, well, you know, top rate of tax in the UK is 45% if you earn over £150,000, uh, but only 481,000 people paid that uh, in last year's figures out of 32.3 million taxpayers. So if you were to push that 45% up to 50%, uh, and let's say the average uh, income in that top bracket was £250,000, and you introduced a 50% tax at, say, £200,000, then you've got 481,000 people paying an extra uh, 5% on £50,000. That's £1.2 billion to make. Now, the government rakes in about £820 billion in tax. So, actually, what you're talking about is uh, is an extra 0.1%. Uh, I mean, it's not going to make a big difference, is it? No. It's, um, again, the, ma- the main thing I want to see... Uh, we get over in terms of everything about the government is is the idea of the government needing to tax in order to spend uh, get rid of that and get rid of the austerity rather than um, the redistribution effects of taxation and it's um, you know again that's one reason why I, I, I don't think it, it's so easy for the wealthy to, to hide their tax uh, to hide their income to reduce their tax levels it's not possible for the poor to do it so all these schemes, and in fact, what you do by bringing in higher tax rates to some extent is encourage more of that evasion. Um, so um, I, I, I want to see some equalisation of, uh, of, of you know, some higher tax rates for higher income levels. But um, there's there's a point at which the politics it generates can undermine everything else you're trying to achieve, and that's um, I think that was certainly was happening back when you had the high, the sort of 90% tax rates, marginal tax rates back in the 60s. That actually uh, to some extent, fed the growth of the the legal and um, pa- power um, side of the the wealthy to to, to fight and bring down uh, that level of taxation. 
So you did it for left-wing reasons and got a right-wing outcome. Yeah, unfortunately. And that was the case in the United States as well, wasn't it? They had uh, very high taxes at that time as well. It wasn't just, uh, you know, communist states like the UK, for example, um, the or socialist states, I should say. The um, So so should there be – should Janet Yellen also be pushing to try and get uh, some sort of uh, – agreement on income tax then around the world i mean uh, it would be I, i'm surprised the eu hasn't got it yet i'm sure they're heading that way because there's a huge difference so the top bracket for income tax in the united states for example is 37 percent, and you only you only do that when you earn half a million dollars most people are on 24 percent or less so they pay much less tax than they do in the uk you can't really look at corporate tax without looking at income tax can you if you're trying to balance things out around the world no you can't but uh, again i think this is this is an interesting futile exercise i'm I'm just intrigued (laughs) to see uh what what the response is to yellen's attempt to do it and and whether the americans get heavy-handed and whether way they try to enforce it i think that that's Given the fact that I don't think it's going to happen, uh, it's more how the Americans respond to it not happening that I'm interested in rather than the actual proposal. Right. And the real issue, I mean, if if, the, if all of this is because we are coming into a, 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 out of a, a world that's been riddled with COVID, I'm not quite sure how quickly we're going to come out of that world. Uh, and we want to use, uh, you know, we've we've spent a lot of money and we need to make sure we're looking after the poor. Then the real issue actually surely is, I mean, okay, it, it is the, the poor people in rich countries, although let's hope that their jobs will come back uh, and it'll just be a relatively temporary blip for those people. The real issue uh, is the poor countries, isn't it? Um, and, uh, you know, those developing countries that have racked up an enormous amount of debt, probably in US dollars, uh, with a uh, when their balance of trade has taken a, a momentous hit because there's been less demand for whatever it is that they might export uh, and uh, they've they've got US debts that they can't afford to pay. Uh, probably they owe it to the IMF or to an IMF member country. What's the IMF going to do about that? Yeah, well, that's where the, 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 I've seen the Debt Jubilee campaign getting a lot stronger, at least on Twitter, um, mm. arguing that we should be actually having more debt write-offs and that Again, that was what Anne Pettifor was involved in organising back in, in 2000 with the, uh, the, the uh, Jubilee Year debt, uh, debt, debt campaign back then. And I think we'll need the same thing in the aftermath to COVID. I think if you can, again, there's the same reason I argue for a, for a, a modern debt Jubilee at the national level. Um, this, it's, it's cut off the cash flow of so many, uh, not just people, as you're saying now, but countries as well. So Thailand, for example, has had about a 20% fall in its GDP courtesy of the tourism industry being uh, hacked by COVID. And if it did have IMF debt, and I sincerely hope that it doesn't, uh, then it would be in an even harder position after that trying to pay back uh, with a rundown, um, you know, with, with, with its revenue source run down by the impact of COVID on tourism. Yeah. Well, because, of course, the first thing the IMF do if they give you a loan is say, well, okay, You've got to uh, restructure. Yeah, you've got to um, get public spending down, uh, which obviously uh, makes things worse. Which is, uh, and it's interesting isn't it? the IMF would be do- we're doing that and saying that to countries, whereas the United States, where the IMF uh, is based, um, is doing the exact opposite and is borrowing to well, it's creating money really to spend big. Uh, so one rule for one and another rule for everyone else. Yeah, well, it's, it's a rule when you don't produce the American dollar. And that's the, uh, the and if, you, if you're running an import, if you have a, a trade deficit and then you've got to be importing goods in, in, which you've got to pay for in American dollars, then that pushes those countries into having to issue American dollar debt. And then they're on the, on the IMF treadmill. So like I, I know from my friends in Indonesia after the 1997 
Asian financial crisis at the end. I'm a persona non grata in uh, Indonesia, and I believe it's still in the same situation. So that's one uh, one form of money that people don't want to have in their pockets. But nobody wants these countries to struggle because they are either selling to them or buying from them. So taking Thailand, for example, there would be Americans and Europeans who uh, want, to, want to go to Thailand on holiday. There will also be uh, companies that have invested big in the tourist industry in Thailand or in other businesses in Thailand. Uh, they don't want to see the, the, the country struggle. They want to see it... Uh, it prosper, but I guess they want to do that uh, with a loan that they expect they're going to get paid pay back at some point. They don't want to hand the money over. But how would a, how would a debt jubilee work? If it, it would it be just for those countries that are struggling, or would you say, let's have a it's it's only money. <laughs> We've everyone's in debt. Let's find a level. Let's just wipe it all. You know what was one trillion dollars debt is now zero debt. Just take a trillion dollars off the bottom line in every country in the world. Well, actually, I'm thinking better ask Anne Petter for that question rather than me because Anne has actually done that at the at the national level. But my proposal is all about like, using a capacity of a currency-creating um, you know, gov- government to use its currency-creating capability to cancel uh, credit-based money and replace it with fiat-based money. And that, relatively speaking, is quite an easy proposal. But if you're talking about doing it at the international level and you have countries that owe an American dollars, who do they owe to the money to? If they owe it to the American government, then it's no particular problem because the American government creates its own American dollars. If it owes to corporations, owes to banks and so on, then if you have that debt written off, then you have potential uh, you know, catastrophic effects on the balance sheets of banks. So um, it, a lot of it was actually just overseas aid money that was... Uh, that have been given as loans rather than uh, as grants, and you're expected to pay the loans back. And that that form of of, uh, of country to country non largess uh, I think, can easily be cancelled. It just means a small increase in the uh, in the effective deficit for those countries and their own currencies. Everything we've been talking about today really is almost like a great reset, isn't it? It's uh, you know, t- to what extent do we want autonomy? And uh, to what extent do we need, you know, if we were to start again, and this seems like a good point to start again, doesn't it? Obviously, you've got to make sure that, you know, people are not uh, having their wealth destroyed too much. Uh, but if we were to start again, uh, what are the new rules for the road? Do we actually have more coordination between countries on fiscal policy? Well, look, you know, we, we got out of the EU for precisely that reason. We wanted more autonomy. Uh, we didn't want uh, another country or another group of countries telling us what our tax rate should be uh, or how much we can spend on state aid and all that sort of stuff, because that's the next thing that naturally follows, isn't it? You know, the, the, when you start saying, well, OK, l- let's make sure we've all got the same amount of corporate tax, then you uh, uh, so that the, it's the same around the world. So it's a level playing field. Then you start saying, ah, but hang on a second. You're not going to get around this by giving uh, state aid to, to certain industries uh, to compensate them for the fact that their, their corporate tax is higher, to try and get them to move into your country. I, I mean, the, the rules, you're just going to have a, 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 you know, a, a massive, it, almost like a free trade agreement for the world, which is just going to be pages long. Pages? I think it's books long. Hundreds of thousands no, of pages. No, I, 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 exactly. I think it's a non-starter. I mean, I'm certainly hoping it will be a non-starter. And of course, if you, that's, that's, that's a large part of what happens when you do have an international group like that and you do cede your capacity to make different forms of policy and the policy gets moved further away from the community rather than closer to it. And this, you know, over, overall, this is one of the reasons we have national currencies 
and national governments mm. uh, and to take it to the supranational level and take away that capacity to uh, have some role at least in determining your own future that's uh, um, you know like I can understand the negative reactions to that well it is world government stuff isn't it I mean you know fundamentally yeah. I mean I think we're in for that because of what we've done to the, we have to think at the global level courtesy what we've gone to the globe at some point it, uh, the globe's not going to give it two uh, you know two hoots about uh, the situation of, of some uh, bipedal monkeys uh, versus other bipedal monkeys on the planet that's going to worry about the actual biosphere and the toto and we're going to be forced to to backtrack for the impact that we've had on the global uh, global ecology uh, we haven't quite got there yet and these these proposals have got nothing to do with that, so I'm happy to knock them down. Do you know what? Whenever I've watched one of those sort of post-apocalyptic movies where there is somebody who's uh, running the world, it is either sort of like an action hero, all very muscly, or it's someone who looks exactly like Joe Biden. You know, sort of like a, an elderly, <laughs> an elderly bloke. So maybe, we're, maybe here that's it. Maybe he's going to be the new world leader. Uh, we'll see. Anyway, all right, very good. Look, next week uh, another topic, uh, and uh, I want to talk about uh, the planet. Actually, funnily enough, I mean Bill Gates is talking about a green premium. Uh, we'll explore that idea a bit more next week. But for now, great to talk, Steve. Okay. By the way, if you've emailed in your suggestions about things you'd like us to talk about or questions you'd like to answer, uh, sorry we haven't got to them yet. We will do it in a couple of weeks. We've got a few of them, so we'll work our way through those. That's it for this week, though. I'm Phil Dobby back with Steve next week. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.